0: Living, learning, and loving are all experiences that affect each one of us at one time or another. The 3Ls, hosted by myself, Rachel Ann Dine, licensed professional counselor, is here to help you navigate life in a down-to-earth and realistic way, one podcast episode at a time. Be well and live, learn, and love to the fullest. Ah. he's so bipolar. She's so bipolar. So these are just two of the phrases that are one of my biggest pet peeves when I hear people throw out the term bipolar in that almost derogatory way. And a lot of times it makes me really want to cringe inside and I have to hold myself back, especially if it's in some social function. Um, Although there have been times where I have gently educated why we should not use those terms loosely to describe people, and it's mainly from my own previous experience and and also my desire to try to destigmatize mental health issues, but just um, in terms of my previous experience with working with men and women who truly, truly met criteria for bipolar disorder, it is an absolutely can be um, an overwhelming issue. Uh, It can really cause a lot of negative effects to a person's life. In fact, some of my um, really, you know, I want to say favorite patients who I've ever worked with have met full-blown criteria for BP1. Um, And so I want to get into bipolar disorder today, talk about the differences between BP1, Bipolar Disorder 1, and Bipolar Disorder 2. So one is... Uh, the hypomanic version which we'll go over that and one has manic episodes. Um, This is also for informational purposes so if you have ever wondered do I have some of these traits Um, sometimes people in our lives can give us feedback. I think you have bipolar disorder or gosh you act so bipolar and what they're really trying to convey is that maybe you just have some moodiness or mood fluctuations and it's too much for them to handle. But instead of saying that, they kind of go with that passive aggressive way of just saying, ah, oh, you are just so bipolar. So I want to break it down today. Um, uh, This is kind of my own personal note on bipolar disorder, that it can be the most horrifically magnificent diagnosis, and I realize that that's quite the paradoxical way of saying it, Um, horrifically magnificent, but it can be horrific in terms of kind of the loss of control that can happen when somebody is in a manic episode, the amount of debt that they incur by taking out credit cards, spending exorbitant amounts of money, having multiple sexual partners, but it can also have this really magnificent side when in mania and creativity is born, um, writing happens, art is created. And so it's really, you know, fascinating to me how the brain can develop bipolar disorder. So let's just jump into it and caveat statement, if you have known or had somebody in your family who has suffered from or has bipolar disorder, then you can probably relate to a lot of this that there's many different sides of it. It can wreak havoc um, and it can be really hard to deal with someone who does have bipolar disorder, especially if they're not compliant with their medication. So that's the one thing about bp1 and bp2 this is probably one of the most easily treated mental health disorders with medication because there are medications out there that have been formulated to help keep people from flying into the manic episode or the major depressive episode but guess what when people don't experience mania they become very disappointed they miss the manic episodes in a lot of ways because that's when the boost of energy comes um like i was saying before that creativity so it's an interesting phenomenon that happens so the gist of it all types of bipolar disorder bp1 bp2 are all kind of characterized by episodes of extreme mood The highs are so high and those are the manic episodes and the lows are extremely low and those are major depressive episodes. So we're talking can barely get out of bed. Hygiene and grooming can truly go out the window. Um, And so one of the main differences between BP1 and BP2 lies in that severity of the high highs or that manic episode. So the rule of thumb here in, in deciphering whether whether you meet or someone meets criteria for BP1 or BP2 is do you have the extreme severity of the manic episode um, which is true to bipolar one, or is it a lesser version, more so on the, Depressive episode spectrum, which would meet more criteria for BP2. So let's break down more in detail kind of that DSM diagnostic criteria. And the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. um, And that is what mental health providers go off of to make diagnoses. There's some problems with it, um, but it is a great tool. I mean, I have my copy sitting right here next to me. It is a great tool for understanding maybe what somebody's going through and being able to formulate a treatment plan. So I've alluded to all this before. I'm not going to get too far into my issues with the DSM, but for the purpose of bipolar one, here is what these DSM criterion are. So, for manic episodes, this is when a person feels exceptional energy, a sense of restlessness, trouble concentrating. Feelings of euphoria and that euphoric feeling, the extreme happiness, that's what hooks a person into enjoying the the manic episode to thinking that they're on top of the world. Um, manic episodes can also have risky behaviors and very, very poor sleep. So usually when I'm trying to assess whether or not somebody has bipolar disorder, I'll ask them, do you ever go several nights a week at a time with little to no sleep? So in some of the most severe cases that I have worked with, and this is more, this was more in the inpatient setting back in those days of my um, mental health career, it would literally be, days that people would not get sleep and if they did it would be like 15 minutes maybe an hour at a time and as we all know the body can't function like that there would be um those feelings of euphoria and just the complete restlessness so that inability to really just sit still it would be a constant influx of energy I mean as I'm talking I'm still remembering some of the writings that came from folks who were in that stage of euphoria and mania so with that though also comes the risky behaviors and that's when the having multiple sexual partners in one night um bouts of infidelity because the judgment is really impaired um this could be you know in some of the most severe cases taking out a credit card and racking up thousands of dollars of debt and i'm not making this up these are definitely things that happen so with that being said i mean when when people come to me and they say yeah you know my mom thinks i have bipolar disorder and i start going through the list of some of these things that have happened it it is so evident that there's they do not meet any criteria at least for bp1 so if you've ever been given that feedback or you've even said that about somebody i just i want you to stop and think about it for a second um i think it's important this is me going on a little bit of a soapbox i think it's so important to take some of those terms out of everyday language because it can be really harmful. And I'm thinking about the people who truly suffer from bipolar disorder. So to tell somebody, uh, oh, you are just so bipolar or, um, to receive that feedback from a parent, a friend, a family member, it can be very hurtful, especially if you don't actually possess the disorder. Um, and you know, I meant to talk about this initially in the beginning, but my mind is going in different places. So bipolar disorder literally came about to describe two poles, two opposite ends of the spectrum. So as we know, bi, B-I, means two. And so bipolar, those are are the two, like I said, opposite ends of the spectrum, the mania, episodes of extreme high energy, and the depression. So back in the day, it was called um, manic depression, but now we know that it's called bipolar disorder and it it has the the mania and the major depression. So moving on to bipolar 2 disorder. So this is the one where I always kind of consider it the lesser version of BP1. And bipolar 2 involves a major depressive episode lasting at least two weeks and has at least one hypomanic episode. So that's your period that's less severe than a full blown manic episode, but it must have occurred for the major depression for two weeks and then that one hypomanic episode. So once again, that lesser severe version of a full-blown manic episode that would happen in bp1 so people with bipolar 2 don't often experience manic episodes that are intense enough to require hospitalization sometimes uh, bp2 is misdiagnosed as depression because um, the depressive symptoms are often the symptoms that People seek treatment for um you know the hypomania can almost feel like a reprieve like oh my gosh I'm coming out of this major depressive um, episode so um that's just something for you to keep in mind so let's get a little bit more into mania because truly how the brain creates this manic episode is quite fascinating and um So as we've talked about, the manic episode can bring about poor decision making, of course that non-compliance with medication, but it can bring about that creative energy. Um, Lots of plans can be made. Sometimes they can be a bit nonsensical and not make 100% sense and that is because the person is just in such a state of euphoria or high energy that it's almost like your thoughts can't keep up with one another. Just as soon as one thought comes in, the next one's hitting you and so on and so forth. Um, Manic episodes can at some times be so intense that it starts to interfere with your daily activities it becomes hard to go to work if you've only had 30 minutes of sleep or it's hard to carry on a kind of almost rational conversation when you are planning to in your manic episode start your own company or um recategorize the elements on the periodic table um and these are just all certain things that i've heard um So it is very difficult to redirect someone in a manic episode towards a calmer and more reasonable state because at that point, that is their reality. So that was always the stance I took. Even with severe schizophrenia, schizoaffective, is that when somebody is in kind of that manic episode or um, experiencing the severe hallucinations or delusions, in that moment, that's their reality. So I saw it as a futile effort to try to convince someone that they weren't the president of the United States or they weren't the owner of every or the Mall of America, something like that. Um, Instead, if you ever believe that somebody is a risk of harm to themselves or someone else, that's when treatment, potentially involuntary treatment in an inpatient psychiatric facility should occur. Um, so I, I say that to just help kind of educate and guide anytime there are people are putting themselves at risk, which in manic episodes, like I've already alluded to sometimes, um, those irrational decisions that are being made, such as spending exorbitant amounts of money that they don't have, um, engaging in high risk behaviors such as, you know, I don't know whether it's like walking the streets in a very unsafe area of town in the wee hours of the morning, having those sexual indiscretions or they're just neglected their hygiene and self-care so much that it's putting them at risk of harm. Sometimes appetite can be decreased in a manic episode so people can go a long period of time without eating. It's time to potentially intervene. Um, The caveat to to manic episodes is that the episode can't be deemed manic if it's caused by an outside influence such as alcohol, drugs, or another health condition. So here's the other interesting part. And so if, for instance, a woman who is experiencing thyroid issues sometimes can have what appears to be a manic episode. So we would see this all the time with older women who were of the age where some of those changes start happening. And as soon as they got put on a thyroid medication to balance out the thyroid, the manic episode, the manic symptoms disappeared. So that's the importance of seeking the appropriate treatment because All these other health conditions can be ruled out. We also know that certain drugs, methamphetamine, stimulants, if taken in excess, they can also encourage manic-like symptoms, cocaine, things of that nature. So moving forward to more on the hypomanic episode. So as we have said, it's a less severe episode from the true state of mania, but it is still going to be a state that a person goes into that's not their normal state. So the differences would potentially be extreme enough so that people around you may notice that something is wrong. Um, so, once again, not full-blown manic episode, but a lesser version where potentially it could be identified, hey, you're not really acting yourself. What's going on here? Um, and so that is that is definitely also something to keep in mind. Sometimes with hypomania, you can have higher than normal energy levels, still have that sense of restlessness a decreased need for sleep, um, having a bit of increased self-esteem or confidence. One of the, the trademark criterion of true mania is, and if you have had a family member or you yourself have had bipolar 1 disorder, is that sometimes, like I said, with the racing mind and and having so many quick thoughts that you can't keep up with the next one, it also equates to being extremely talkative. And so just like the thoughts can't keep up, the statements cannot keep up with one another. So it's one, one sentence after another, something that in the mental health world we call pressured speech. And it does. That's what it seems. It seems like this, the person is really being pressured to talk about this and that and that, you know, and it's, it's really, really a quick train of thought. And sometimes it's not necessarily a logical thought process. Um, so, uh, there can be also, you know, okay, so starting multiple projects with no way of finishing them. And I realized that I'm slipping back into talking about manic episodes, but I, I, you know, the more that I think about this, the more things are coming to me. But yeah, that was always something is, um, starting tons of projects in the manic state, never finishing them. And, um, that grandiosity of thought, the being extremely talkative, and then truly the higher than normal energy level. So definitely things to consider. And then last but not least, let's move on to the depression piece of it. So a lot of times I think that the depressive episodes can be caught, can be um, started because you can only be in that manic state for so long before your body just literally crashes and before you know it you're so exhausted sometimes there may be such a high increase in sleep you know you may sleep for days at a time because your body is just so exhausted from being up for days at a time sometimes weeks um so tiredness there can be irritability Changes in your sleeping habits, so oversleeping like I said, changes in eating habits, trouble concentrating, all of those kind of telltale signs of depression. However, if the thoughts start taking a turn to suicidal and you're hearing that from someone who you know or you yourself have been experiencing suicidal thoughts in that depressive state, it it would be very beneficial to seek out treatment from a mental health professional. Um, So that is definitely the kind of overall statement, if I can impress upon you enough, is that if the thoughts that you're having, if the behaviors that are going on are impairing you or someone else, that's the rule of thumb. We got to reach out. Um, So we don't necessarily know 100% what causes bipolar disorder. You know, sometimes it's been found that abnormal physical characteristics of the brain or, you know, we've all heard chemical imbalance, but sometimes it is an imbalance in certain brain chemicals. So either an excess in serotonin during the manic episodes or decrease in serotonin um, during depression. So. You know, interestingly enough, that nature versus nurture argument comes into play because sometimes even research has shown that severe stress, trauma, drug and habitual alcohol abuse, very upsetting experiences may also trigger bipolar disorder. Um, So it's still kind of up in the air. It's still very much, uh, being researched and there's no definitive cause per se of what, how bipolar disorder develops in the brain. So like I said previously, and I am not somebody to push medications. I am very holistic in my approach to mental health, but I'm also a firm believer where medications are needed, medications are needed, and bipolar disorder is absolutely one of them, um... And that's the thing is that bipolar disorder can very much be treated with medications. Lithium has been probably the most widely used mood stabilizer for years. Um, There are some side effects to this, uh, low thyroid function, joint pain, indigestion. And then the downfall is that lithium requires blood tests to monitor the therapeutic levels of the drug and also monitor kidney function to make sure that no damage is happening and so having to go in and get those blood tests can sometimes be a deterrent however it is and I've seen it be so effective in so many people um so What can you do if you feel like potentially you meet criteria for bipolar disorder? If you're recognizing these symptoms in yourself, I want you to maybe write in a diary, write a mood log of your pattern. So if you feel really good, that hypomania for a week, when does the depression happen? Um, if you feel manic, what kinds of things go on through your head? What do you do in your life? How much sleep are you getting? Um, so really start to to make a record and then of your mood, thoughts, and behavior and reach out. My favorite resource is psychologytoday.com and at least maybe start the process of getting plugged in with a mental health therapist, somebody who has had experience in working with bipolar disorder. Um and see what that next step is just because you have bipolar disorder doesn't mean a straight trip to an inpatient psychiatric hospital there can be many things done prior to getting to the inpatient hospital level so um that is something to keep in mind Bipolar disorder hasn't been cured as of yet, so so maybe once there's a diagnosis put in play, if you've been diagnosed correctly, then it is something that must be treated for the long haul with medication. But with that proper treatment, with support from family and your friends, it is absolutely 100% possible to manage symptoms and, and maintain a great quality of life. So I really have to put that out there. So, in saying all of that, I hope that by listening to this podcast today, if you've ever been somebody to say, oh, they are so bipolar, or receive that feedback from somebody in your family when you know that you don't have bipolar disorder, I hope that this brings light to how serious the diagnosis really is and what kind of things have to be in place to meet criteria for the diagnosis, I want to instill some hope. If you recognize some of these traits in yourself, it is a treatable mental health issue. Um, This is not the kind of, um, it's not something that there needs to be shame surrounding. But it is something to get some treatment for, to reach out and get some help Um, because there is kind of a more even keel way to live, if you will, where sleep can happen on a consistent basis. You feel a decent amount of energy at any given time. So be empowered to reach out and seek some treatment Thanks so much for listening today, and I hope that, as always, you live, learn, and love to the fullest. so much for tuning in to the three L's today. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe or consider giving a rating, especially on Apple podcasts so that more people can find the three L's and tune in as well. Also feel free to follow me on Instagram at Rachel and Dine counseling for daily motivation and to request certain topics you want to hear more about. Here's hoping that you live, learn and love to the fullest.